He who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen they have been done in God. The contrast is also true. Do you believe what Jesus says is true? Absolutely. Do you believe that in a moment He speaks a word and everything can change? There's a promise found in Hebrews 7.25 that says Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. To the utmost. In other words, without question, those who put their trust in Him. The verse on the screen tells you He's able to save because He's making intercession for you. For me. And that is a promise. It's crucial today that you hear that promise that Jesus Christ is making intercession for you on your behalf and He's able to deliver you from whatever it is that you face. Whether it's self-inflicted or world-inflicted or Satan-inflicted, Jesus Christ can and will deliver you and is making intercession right now on your behalf. There is a battle going on in our world. It afflicts all those who want to know God more and more. It's also afflicting those who just came to know God or who want to know who He is. We have learned as believers that God can do so much, but then we think that there comes a point where we're still stuck. But it says that He is able to save those who come to God through Him who trust Him. And there is a time in our life where we begin to question whether Jesus Christ can actually do that magic, if you will, or powerful work in us that seems so hard to receive. This morning, I'm going to ask you to trust God more than you ever have. And to ask Him these words, God, forgive me for my lack of trust. Trust and belief are similar, but a little different. Let me tell you the truth. Satan doesn't want you to experience peace and joy. He doesn't want you to think that Jesus Christ can give that to you or bring that to you in the relationship. And He's going to use every other thing in this world to show you that you can get it anywhere else. (laughs) And isn't it interesting that Satan attacks only what is going after God instead of what is not with God. Here's what I mean. Suppose you're trying to pray about something and saying, God, should I do this or not? And Satan's going, well, you know how to do this with that and this with that and not use it for God. Whereas if you're doing something that isn't godly with your time and your, your, your talent and your resources and you go, um, oh, I'm going to do this and Satan's not going, well, you think you should do that? He's not doing that. He knows you're not using it for the kingdom of God, so He's not harassing you. You want Satan off your back? Don't follow God. But if you love Jesus Christ, in which a relationship with Jesus Christ says we do, He's going to try, that is Satan, is going to try and steal your peace and your joy. He does not want you prosperous in the kingdom of God. He wants you to think, He wants you to think on the world's terms about time, about resources, about money, about yourself, about relationships, about the Bible, about everything in this world. He wants you to see it from a different perspective than God's. 
And the world has some compelling logical reasons to believe that its ways are true. <laughs> Wrong, but compelling. <laughs> Let me tell you, since Satan doesn't want you to have prosperity, and Jesus does, he even says, He's come that you may have a life that's abundant. Now a lot of folks go, I don't even know what abundant life looks like. Well, it's time you do. Satan's been on your back long enough, hasn't he? Enemy been dragging you down. Sometimes we look in the mirror and see the enemy there. Today, we're going to look at that and say, God, forgive me for listening to the wrong voices in my life. Jesus tells us to walk in the light while the light is with us in John chapter 11. He tells us that that is what you do while there's still daylight. Are there not 12 hours in a day? Of course there are. And if anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. That's what those verses tell us in John 11, 9 and 10. But I was considering this verse this week and it says if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. And while there's light... I began to see that our lifetime is a day. That we need the light throughout our lifetime. The day of our life. Because at the end of our life, it says we fall asleep in Jesus Christ. That's at the end of life's day. We go to sleep in Jesus. Resurrected on the new day with Jesus as well. But we are in the day now and we are to walk as children of the light who do not stumble because we see the light. But if darkness keeps pulling us and the enemy keeps distracting us from the light, we turn our back to the light, if you will, and the shadow is that way and we see darkness. If you don't face the light, you see darkness. The light reveals Everything so you don't stumble, as Jesus said. He also told us in Matthew 5, we are the light of the world. So shine. That's what He says. Shine. It's the believer's declaration of dependence on Jesus Christ. We are the light of the world. So shine before men that all might see the light of God through you and give glory to your Father in heaven who sees you doing it openly and will reward you. In 1 Peter 2, chapter, 9, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he, he tells us this. You are a chosen generation. You are. You are a royal priesthood. Anybody who believes in Jesus Christ, this is true for you. You are a holy nation. I've preached on this before. You are God's own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once weren't a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Amen. This is the promise of God that these things are true for us. And they sound good on paper, but when you start to put it into practice, the darkness and the enemy starts to say, well, you know, you're not good enough. You don't know how to be. You don't know what to do. You are not that because you don't think like that. The enemy lies. 
and lies well. So this morning I'm going to ask us to pray that God would forgive us for walking in darkness with the light in us. Once you have Jesus Christ, the light has shined. Amen. Even says, Awake, O sleeper, rise, for God has shone on you and given you light. In Isaiah, he tells us this. And I've got to tell you, there's more to this than this. That God has called us individually to a very important task. He's called this church to a very important task as well. What is that task? Same as it's been through all generations since Jesus gave the Great Commission. We are to make Jesus known and preach the Gospel and reach the broken and lost for the Kingdom of God. Saying, repent and believe the Gospel for the Kingdom of God is at hand. It's still available. Our annual conference's theme is See All the People. We We look at it like this. I see some of them. I see the ones I want to see. I don't see the ones out there I can't reach because I can't reach them. Don't know how, don't want to try. And that is the reason the enemy says it's okay because someone else will get them. Well, the devil will. Don't expect somebody else to do the desk of the Gospel until you've attempted it. (laughs) Because your attempt says you care. What happens is we begin to see people as problems, not as lost souls. (laughs) I've heard that all of my life, you know. This person has a problem. They they smell funny, they dress funny, they 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 can't keep their money, they can't do this, they can't do that. I've heard it for years and years and years. It's they're not a problem. They're lost souls. They aren't stuck in sin, they're stuck without love. When we see a problem, It's God's call on our life to be a solution. Otherwise, we wouldn't see it. To see the person means you see that a solution is needed. If you see someone who's struggling along the way, and maybe we can even bless Dakota's family as a church today and say, you had a water line break, that's going to cost something. We want you to go on this mission trip, Dakota. We want to bless your family and help you with that so you can still go and do that work. What would that say to the family? We don't see you having a problem. We see you having a solution. The enemy doesn't want Dakota to go. I promise you. Because this is a very important trip. We're going to learn, and I'm going to make it available later, about how to approach people in ways that are not offensive, but ingratiate, if you will, or bring yourself into a friend relationship with anybody. A very simple word, rock, is the acrostic word that tells us how to do it. And it's easy once you know how. And it's easy once you're willing to use it. And I think Dakota has a far-reaching place. He knows people I don't. He knows people younger than me that I don't. He knows people you don't know that if he has these tools, he can reach them. He works in Illinois. I don't work in Illinois. He's got a whole factory he could probably reach with these tools. The enemy doesn't want him to have them. Do you understand? This isn't a problem. It's there are lost souls and the enemy's trying to stop us from reaching them. That's his task. To make sure that God's work isn't done. And it seems to happen often when we get closer to God. 
When we see a person as a problem, we have something wrong with our world view. It's not God's. When we see a person as a problem, we have something wrong with our world view. Our world view is not God's. God forgive us for missing this task and seeing people as problems. The Scripture talks about the gifts of the Spirit in several different places. Some of them are words of encouragement, prayer, healing, prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Some of those who have the gift of giving, all these different gifts are available to this church. Did you know every single gift that the Scripture needs for a body of Christ is available in this body of Christ, but they're not all in use? They're not. I have not explained or taught them to you, so I don't even know that you know how it's all supposed to work. I don't know the foundation you have for them. But in the future days, I'm going to begin to bring in those giftings and how the church uses them to build up the church. The enemy doesn't want us to know this. But I believe me not saying it has offended God more than it would offend you to know them. I do. And when we don't use those gifts, it leaves the door open for the enemy and it swings the door open and says, you didn't use a gift of discernment on spirits and others. Guess what? You're going to let everything come in and you're not going to have a guard up or prepare for the proper task at hand. An unprepared church comes under attack very easily. It's true. So I'm going to ask us, and I'm asking you to ask God to forgive us for failing to recognize and use the gifts within each of us in our church. And I want to tell you this, and I realized this this last Sunday evening during our anointing prayer service, that our church has been under attack by the enemy for a season. It's been a season. Not just a day, not a few, but a season. You see, the enemy doesn't attack nonstop. He goes for a while, and as with Jesus, he leaves for an opportune time to come back and do it again. And there'll be a time when everything's real smooth in your life, and then the enemy comes in and sneaks in. It's like, oh, no big deal. I can just not, you know, I'll just ignore that. You know, no, no problem. But the thing is, the next thing pops up on it, and then the next thing, and all of a sudden, the little thing that wasn't a problem was the door open to make the rest of them happen. Because we began to compromise in our life. What can and cannot come in, what is and is not acceptable for the kingdom of God. And we use the worldly logic to say, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. It doesn't matter. It's okay. I'm all right. It hasn't affected the ministry. After that happens enough, and you begin to kind of just brush those things aside, they're all of a sudden no longer swept under the rug. The rug is now taller than you with stuff swept under it. Where did all this stuff come from? Well, remember that little thing that we thought wasn't a big deal? We let it come around and stick in our mind. That did it. We gave room to the devil. Amen. That is not good. Scripture says very clearly, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. It also says, do not give place to the devil. So if you give him a little speck in your life and in your home and in your family or in your church, he's going to start multiplying. 
Because he sees that as an open invitation for you to be blind to what he's doing. Here's a good example. How many of you would like to be afflicted with a life-threatening illness? There's nobody would like that. Not even the fear of it. But it's just a little bitty speck that's allowed to come in and multiply. Oh, it's just a little cough, no big deal. Just a little sniffle. Just a little flesh wound. (laughs) Call it what you will. But it gives place that the thing that's going to break us down now has free reign. And if we we haven't taken care of ourselves physically and and our immune system is weak, it doesn't have as much defense to keep it out or to battle it effectively. And so if there is something that we can do to keep ourselves healthy spiritually as a church, physically healthy as individuals, and emotionally or mentally healthy in relationships, then those are the good things we should do. Otherwise, attack happens and he waits for the season when the vulnerability and the guard, the vulnerability is up and the guard's down. And he just walks right in. And all of a sudden, something just goes haywire. (laughs) I don't know about you, but uh, when I see that happen, I go, why didn't I see this coming? Because the this that was coming wasn't this that was coming. It was a little bitty thing that started it that I didn't think about. Didn't pay attention to. We're like that. When I saw this last Sunday that our church had been under attack, I got a little upset with the devil. No, I got angry. I said, the devil's trying to stop a good work in this church, and now I see it, and I know now where to take the battle, is to the front lines, instead of saying, well, you know, it'll just pass away, it's going to blow over, nobody's really upset about anything, there's nothing really going on, it's just a figment of my imagination, it's not real. I always say things like that and say, you know, time will heal it all, but it doesn't. And I want to share something with you. That God has seen seasons of this church come and go. And right now, He's put us into a season of prosperity, but the devil's trying to get us focused on other stuff. Not the prosperity, but the putting out of flames and fires or trying to figure this out or a roof leak. <laughs> it doesn't seem to go away. So we won't do the things we need to do for the kingdom, but rather fix the property rather than fix the broken people. As long as He can keep us distracted in that season, we won't do the work of the kingdom. As soon as I get this done, this is what we say. As soon as I get this done, then I'll work on that thing. And that's what the enemy has us do. Gets us off focus of the thing that God called us to. That season is a season that God's been trying to put this church to. When I saw it last Sunday, I said, Devil, you know, no more. You're not doing that in my church. You're not doing that to my friends and my family in this church and the people I care about and love and this community that Jesus Christ died to save and nobody's reaching them. You're not going to stop us. It ends. We're going forward to the front line. We're rebuking you at every hand. We're moving forward. We're learning the weapons and the gifts that we have in hand so we can take this to the place where it needs to go so God can do His work and the enemy has no door to get in. And no back door to swing in the back way. You know, the enemy knows all sorts of doors. And that's why we all have different giftings. So what you block, I don't have to and I can't. Makes sense, doesn't it? 
For example, if we were to church to pray without ceasing all year, there's some of us going to be asleep sometime during the day. Hopefully, we all sleep during the day. Well, you know what I mean, a 24-hour period. And if uh, someone's sleeping and another person's awake praying, that means the person sleeping can rest knowing the prayer is still going forth. So someone who prays into the night is covering for those who can't pray because they're asleep. They have the back door. The place where the enemy attacks is where you're not watching. That's why in those uh, walls that they built, they had right angles in them and all sorts of crazy shapes so they could see everybody's back. So there was no surprise attack. And uh, the Roman soldiers would set up so that everybody looked outward and protected the ones who they had their back. This is what God's doing. But we've been under attack. And I didn't see it. Maybe you all saw it before I did. And I'm going to ask us today to ask God to forgive us for giving room to the devil and not resisting Him. Thinking it wasn't a big deal. And I have one more thing. And this is the thing I was telling you about that you may want to take some extensive notes on. You see, Satan wants to keep us in shame. He wants to keep our old mindsets and mentalities and away from the Bible. Seriously, away from the Bible. He does not want you reading that. I promise you, because it's weapon. It's a weapon. Word of God. It's a weapon. So, I've got two columns here, if you will, on your paper. One labeled darkness and one labeled light. Compare and contrast to see, and I'm going to tell you what I was going to say later, but I'm going to say it now. The enemy attacks through the darkness. And when that stuff's in your life and it's becoming prevalent, you're under attack and that's your season of attack. And you're going to see some of these things in your own mind where you'll say, well, I've been under attack for 30 years. In some areas of your life you may have. You need someone with a spiritual gift or to exercise a spiritual gift to begin to break those things off. Darkness, the first thing. Shame and guilt is from darkness. Shame and guilt is not from God. In the light, it is forgiven and honored. It's the opposite. Some, some people say shame and guilt. The opposite of shame and guilt is uh, no shame and no guilt. No, it's forgiven and honored. God has raised you up. There's no shame in God raising you up. Next one under darkness is you're vengeful or angry. If you see anger in your life or desire to seek revenge, you're walking out the darkness and the enemy has you under attack. The light is when you become forgiven and gracious. Because if I'm forgiven, then I don't have to be vengeful towards someone else because God has forgiven them through me and before me as well. So forgiven and gracious rather than vengeful and angry. The third thing that darkness does is creates confusion and anxiety. Walked in a season of confusion or anxiety, they kind of go hand in hand. I'm so confused, it makes you anxious. If you're anxious, it breeds confusion because you don't know what to do. What happens in the light? As you come to the light, you become clear-minded and focused. 
I love when that happens and the confusion goes away and the anxiety dissipates and I'm focused and I know what to do. Anxiety says, I don't know what to do. Confusion says, I don't even know what's going on. (laughs) Satan is the author of confusion. You don't want it. The darkness has religion and rules, kind of like the scribes and Pharisees. You do it this way, and it's very strict. And if you don't do it that way, you're condemned. Religion and rules are the way to follow God. When you come to the light, and the enemy stops attacking you with that rules and religion, you find out that God is asking for relationship and freedom. You're free to love. And He wants a relationship with you. Some people say, I thought Christianity was a religion. No, Christianity is not a religion. The Christian faith is a religion. Christianity is a relationship. And it brings freedom. Freedom from all the darkness. The next in darkness is judgment and judging. If you're feeling very judgmental or feeling judged, that is not from God. If you're judging another, Scripture says, do not judge. I had someone argue with me saying Jesus never said it, and I showed it to him, and they said, He didn't say that, they just put that there. Yes, he did. So do not judge, lest you be judged the same measure which you meted out. The opposite of that, when you step into the light, you are loved and loving. Someone may judge you, but that's on them. God has loved you with an everlasting love, and he's called you to be a loving person. Not a judgmental, critical spirit. These get harder. (laughs) Speaking of critical spirits, darkness has the next one, critical and complaining attitude. I've learned something new about critical and complaining attitude because when you step into the light, you become open and resolving. Here's one thing I heard, and it was great. The church was arguing about carpeting. And someone said, this carpeting is ugly. Another person said, you're right. And so are the pew cushions. So are the lights and the paint and everything else all started getting critical. And I said, sounds like you guys are just put in a task to find out new prices of carpeting, paint, lights, and all this other stuff you don't like. And they said, why would we do that? I said, because you see a problem. It's because God wants you to solve it. They didn't complain to me anymore. I don't know if it ever got the carpet fixed. But they quit complaining to me. Why? Because I see a complaint, as God does, as a reason to be open about things and to resolve it. And that's what it's for. Darkness differentiates and divides. You see it all throughout the uh, Christian faith. Division. Differentiation. When you step into the light, you seek unity and peace. Common ground. Not what's different, what's the same. We're all one in a bond of love. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Division or not, we're one in Christ Jesus. We can agree on that. Let's stay with that. The other stuff, let it sort itself out. But we're one in Christ and start there. Not start with what divides, but what with unites, which is Jesus Christ. Isn't that where we're supposed to start? Not whether the choir sings first or last, or you can't have instruments, or you can. It's Jesus Christ is first. He's penultimate. Nothing else. So, light, when you step into it, you seek unity and peace with all. As much as possible within you. 
darkness, you step into self-righteousness. You know what that is, right? Well, I don't do anything wrong. I didn't. I'm, no, I had a reason for doing that, so it's okay. Self-righteousness is always about how you look better in the eyes of another person. In the light, you're not seeking self-righteousness. You're seeking God's holiness. You know you never can measure up. But you're always seeking to be holy as God is holy. You're seeking God's holiness in your life. Not trying to look better, but trying to be more godly. It's not about what you look like. It's about who you're related to when this happens. That's why religion is not rules. It's relationship. In darkness, prayer is seen as an obligation. In, when you step into the light, prayer is seen as a lifeline. I don't know how people survive without prayer. I really don't. So you know what I mean by obligatory prayers? At meals? Mm-hmm. You know, at church when everybody else is praying? Mm-hmm. Those are obligational prayers. The kind that are lifeline prayers are, God, I love you and I just want to spend this day with you and, and I thank you for being with me and don't you ever leave me. I need to talk to you all day long. Amen. Prayer without ceasing, says Paul. It's a lifeline. In the darkness, Bible reading is optional. <laughs> You're too busy. That's what Satan says. You know, you read it later. In the light, Bible is seen as a meal. <laughs> I didn't know how else to say that, but it's the word, and you got to eat it. You might as well have it as a meal. Well, how would you? How much more Bible reading would you get if you had to read the Bible as much time as you spent eating in a day? <laughs> a question. I'll bet your answer is you'd spend more time than you do now. Amen. I spend more than 10 minutes eating. But in the morning, I'm trying to get 15 minutes of Bible reading in. Not enough. The Bible is a meal. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen. Bible is a meal. Speaking of prayer, in the darkness we pray at certain times, and in the light we pray at all times. Kind of goes along with prayer seen as an obligation or as a lifeline. In the darkness we avoid negative people. And there are some people that you need to stay away from because they're not healthy for you. But it's not because you don't want to be around negative people and because you're so holy and they're going to mess up your holiness. But some people say, I can't be around them. They're messing up my karma. It's not your karma. In the light, you don't avoid negative people. You seek to understand your relationship with them and then act on that knowledge. Know why you do what you do. To be sure, it's motivated by God. I kind of mentioned this one already, but the next one is we see things as problems in the darkness. We're walking in the dark instead of living in the light. They're problems to be solved. Everything's a problem. Got to fix this. Got to fix that. Oh, another problem. Uh, we used to have a, somebody used to say, "I have an issue." I say, "Yes, you have many." That's what I wanted to say. Never did. And hopefully, he doesn't listen to this, or he won't even know it's himself. Um, but in the light, we, we see problems as a motivation for growth. I have a problem with uh, my neighbor. Well, then there's a problem you have with your neighbor and it motivates you to grow to have no problem with your neighbor. 
If your neighbor doesn't have a problem with you, but you have a problem with your neighbor, there's a problem for you. Motivates you to change, to grow. We have four more. Money is mine in the darkness. We say, money is mine. I earned it. I spend it how I want, when I want. It's mine. In the light, money is used for building the kingdom of God or it's wasted. We don't like that one. If it's people who love Jesus and want to get more people into the kingdom see money and time spent otherwise as wasted. I wasted all this money when I could have been bringing souls in on myself. Do you want to say that at the end of your life to God? I wasted it on me, on stuff, on junk, on things I can't keep, on things that matter the least. Stephen Covey said, do not ever let what matters most be at the mercy of what matters least. It's a good statement about our money. Time is mine. This is darkness. It says, I'm not going to waste it on this. (laughs) I've heard that. I know some people who are so strict about time that if it's on the second at the top of the hour, they're done because they spent the top of the hour and said that's all they were using. They're done. It's my time. Time is money. You hear this all the time. That's darkness. The world obviously says, I get paid by the hour, so time is money. Time is not money. Time is not a commodity. In the kingdom of God, time wasted not given for kingdom purposes is time not spent wisely. Yes, restoring and restorative rest is used for the kingdom of God because it refreshes you. Prayer, reading Scripture, is time used for the kingdom of God, not directly with other people, but it restores your relationship with God and builds it. So it is not a time waster. But I imagine, if we were honest with our time, we have a lot of those time wasters. Not used for the kingdom of God. And you say, but, but you don't understand. I, I, I don't always have discretion with what I do with my time. You have discretion what goes through your head during that time. At a time where you're being obligated to do something else doesn't mean you can't be praying or seeking God at that moment. Or at least trying to live for the glory of God while you're doing what you're obligated to do. And seeing that what you're doing is still for God's glory. We don't think like that because we're so used to the darkness. God says, get out of the darkness. Start to think like someone who loves Jesus thinks. Darkness, we say this, I'm so stressed and weary and tired all the time. I don't know about you, but I think that's 99% of us. Anybody here say, I'm never tired, stressed, or weary. Anybody got that statement? Little babies don't count. Um, (laughs) um, Anybody can say, I never have stress. I'm never tired. I'm never worn out. Anybody? No, I'm being serious because I need advice. Okay, so we're all in that. We're all... And in, uh, in the light, guess what that changes to? I love this. We become hopeful and anticipatory of the moment. When we're stressed and wore out, what if God showed up in that moment and everything changed? Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, to be hopeful that that moment can be that moment, every single moment of your day and anticipating that God is there doing something changes that moment. The last one. 
Boy, oh boy. I didn't want to say this one because this one's mine. Well, all of them are, but this one especially. That busyness or being busy makes me valuable. Gives value to my life because I have something to do. If you step into the light, that changes to my life is based on a balance between rest and activity. God says, let there be rest. <laughs> is it one of the commandments? Thou shalt honor the Sabbath day. Amen. Thou shalt rest. I'm too busy to rest. I'll rest when I'm dead. That's what we say. Sounds like a good idea, but it goes contrary to what the Word of God says and won't get you closer to Jesus if you don't rest. It won't. You'll be too tired. You give, I don't know about you, but some mornings I'm so tired I open up my Bible and I fall asleep in it. In the Word of God, God, I love you somehow. Oh, i got to wake up and do something now because I'm too tired. The darkness items that I've just shared with you are not normal in the kingdom of God. These are considered abnormal behavior. Meaning we have been under attack in those areas where those are true for us. And so I'm going to ask that we ask God to forgive us for thinking that darkness is normal for believers in the kingdom of God. Quite a few things. I'll go over them real quickly. The things I think we need to ask God for as we come to communion today. To forgive us first for our lack of trust. Second, to forgive us for listening to the wrong voices. Third, forgive us for walking in darkness while the light is within us. Forgive us for missing the task of the souls around us. Forgive us for failing to recognize and use the gifts within us. Forgive us for giving room to the devil and not resisting him. And forgive us for thinking that darkness and the world's standards was normal for a believer in the kingdom. We truly have adopted and taken on the world's ways and not known the kingdom of light. The text today says this is condemnation. The light has come and we love darkness rather than light. Whether it be familiar or just used to it. And it's because what we've done has been evil. And we don't want to see it as such. But everyone practicing evil hates light and doesn't come because their, your deeds would be exposed. Here's what Jesus says is the remedy. But he who does the truth or wants the truth or desires truth, which is Jesus, comes to the light, who is Jesus, that his deeds may be clearly seen. Even if they're done in poor intent, that he may heal them. And then when you bring a broken life, including your own, to God, he bring, you bring it to be healed. God, I've done all these things. This is true of me. I've walked in the darkness like that. What I need, God, is for you to see this, that this is who I am. But it's not who Jesus said I am now. It's who I was. I'm a used to be that, but I don't know how to be what I am in Jesus Christ. You said it's new. I need you, God, to look at this and help me see how to draw near to you in each of these. Otherwise, if God drags it out of you, you're not going to be happy with the results. But if you willingly bring it to God and surrender it before Him and say, God, change me. You're in me. Change me. I want to live from Your Spirit within, not my own. 
then God can do a work with that. He really can. And I simply want to propose to you this morning that as you come to communion, you ask God to make you a child of the light. Even as He said He's already done. That you would live out that identity and not compromise even in the smallest areas that the devil might get a foothold. I'm tired of our church getting under attack. It's done. We're stepping forward onto the front line. We're going to see all the people and do the work of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And it starts now. Now. With communion. When a church comes together and says, God, put us back to the task. Put us back to doing and being the church of Your kingdom rather than listening to the world and its junk that we bought. There are so many voices. So many voices competing for your attention. There's only one that you need. And quieting all those others takes rebuke and resistance. And once you do, the devil's going to learn that you've learned he's up to something. So if you've been in any of those darkness in your, in your life and, and those are your truths, you've been under attack. And that's good news. Because you've got something that the devil doesn't want you to have. But staying under attack doesn't mean you're going to live free. <laughs> you have to rebuke those things and move toward the light. And that's why we need to come out of darkness. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word to us this morning. For Jesus Christ who loves us, blesses us, gives His hope, His heart, and His joy within us. We've for so long walked in darkness and this world has convinced us of its ways and we get caught up in emotions and all sorts of stuff, God, and we just can't seem to move beyond it. Well, this morning, Heavenly Father, we now know why. It's because we didn't create it. The enemy did. He threw it out there and we had to believe that it was our responsibility for creating it when actually the devil did it. And we bought into it thinking it was our responsibility and we needed to fix it rather than bringing it to You, Lord Jesus, and seeing where the deed was truly wrought. So forgive us, God, for our lack of trust in You. For listening to other voices than Yours. For walking in darkness when Your light is within us, Jesus Christ. And forgive us for missing the task of the people around us. We haven't seen them. So much so that even our annual conference says, look at all the people. See them. And God, forgive us for failing to recognize and use the gifts within us. Some of them we're not familiar with. They make us nervous. But Heavenly Father, there's no reason not to explore and see who's operating in them. And Heavenly Father, forgive us for giving room and place to the devil and not resisting him. And for me as a pastor, not recognizing the attack until last week. But thank you for showing it to me. And thank you for being able to bring us to this place this morning where we can begin to move forward. And Heavenly Father, I ask You to forgive us also for thinking that darkness and the way this world operates is normal for a believer in You. It is not. But the world has told us, well, everybody else is like that. But You did not say we were like everybody else. You said we were like Jesus Christ. You said we were to be like Your Son, not like everyone else doing it, but the way Jesus does it. So, Heavenly Father, take that word and excuse out of our mouth that everybody else does it. Because Jesus Christ did not. 
And He showed us to pray, to study, to love, to heal, to share, and to sacrifice for Your kingdom. Heavenly Father, if we can grab a hold of these truths today as a church, I know You will bless us in it. And thank You for it. Amen.